Well, good morning, and would you join me in opening up a Bible to Acts chapter 1. If you want to use a Blue Pew Bible, you can find Acts 1 on page 909, and we always try to encourage you as well. If you do not own a Bible and would like one, you are free to take this home with you. If you know somebody who doesn't own a Bible and may like to have one, you can take this with you and give it to them. Um, but we are going to be, begin in Acts 1 and then eventually make our way to Acts 17, where we've been uh, over the last few weeks. Um, but we are looking forward to the next two Sundays at Grace. Uh, first, next week, as Mary so well articulated in the announcement, uh, we have the opportunity to take a Sunday to celebrate God's faithfulness to Grace Church for the last 75 years. And whether you attend the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. service, we have some uh, elements of that service that we're looking forward to, uh, being able to share and worship together in, in that way. And then, uh, as Mary said, uh, there's going to be a ceremony on the front lawn uh, that we encourage everyone to be at, and that's going to start at 10.15. So the 9 a.m.ers kind of have it easy, all right? We're just asking them to stay a little bit after the service and join on the lawn. Now, for the 11 a.m.ers, I just want you to know I believe in you, all right? I believe in you next week to remember to come at 10.15 because we are, again, to have that opportunity to the whole church together, uh, having that ceremony. Um, in the original building uh, that was built in 1947, there's a cornerstone uh, that we are going to be opening for just the second time in 75 years. There's some elements in there that we're going to be able to kind of see what was in there. We're going to be able to add uh, some things into that cornerstone for the next anniversary where it might be opened up again. Um, and so we just hope you can join us uh, for that, um, both the service and the ceremony. And then the week after that, Lord willing, uh, we're going to begin a sermon series uh, going through the book of Ezra. I know, so much excitement about the book of, of Ezra, but my hope is, and our hope is, that at the end of that series, you will be maybe more excited than maybe you honestly were right now when you heard it. Uh, but we're looking forward to that as well. But we got some work to do this morning first, and that we are going to conclude our vision series. And I want to begin by quoting the book Forgotten God, that maybe you have heard of, by author Francis Chan. Chan wrote this in the final chapter, quote, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. If you were to come up with a list of things that are vital to explain your life, I wonder what would be on that list. If you were to say to somebody, if you really want to get to know me, like really know me, who I am and what I'm all about, you need to know blank. I think some common answers you would maybe say and hear would be, you would need to know about my family experience both in my past and what I was brought up in and the kind of family I was brought up in and in my current, present situation. You really can't explain my life without knowing that. Uh, perhaps you would say your ethnicity, that you cannot understand your life or who I am without knowing my ethnic identity. One that's especially common, uh, probably too important in the Western world, is, is, is work. What, you know, when we ask somebody, when we meet them, it doesn't take too long for us to ask, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Maybe if you're in school, you would talk about what grade you're in. You really can't understand my life right now without knowing what grade I'm in or what clubs I'm a part of, what sports you play, 
what subjects you love. Perhaps you could even get down to the personality level that, that you say, well, if you want to know me, you, you got to know I'm an extrovert or, or I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm really loud. I'm always loud. You need to know that about me. Or I'm more laid back. I think a common one is that many people maybe have a single experience in their life that you cannot explain their life without knowing that experience for better or for worse. Maybe there was some highlight that just changed your life forever and everything kind of now revolves around that one great thing that happened to you. Or on the other side, uh, perhaps there's an illness, there's a trauma, loss of a loved one, and you're going to need to know about me if you're going to know me. We've come to the, again, our final week of our vision series that we have called this year Refocus. Refocus. And our aim has been to bring clarity to how we as a church are going to carry out the mission of making disciples to the glory of God. So if we are kind of clear on what our vision is to glorify God by making disciples, Refocus has really tried to kind of see, okay, are we clear, church? Are we clear on how that's going to happen, where we are in the year we're in? And as we wrap up, I want to say this, quote, I don't want Grace Church to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. You know, our first three weeks of this series in Acts 17 have, you could say, been on the kind of level of explainable. Uh, Week one, we asked the question, where are we? And we saw that Paul had to embrace and observe and understand the city of Athens. So we too need to embrace where we are. Even if you're honest, you don't want to be here. But the reality is God has you here in this area at this church to embrace where we are, to observe where we are, to understand the suburban context that we're in. Week two, we asked the question, who do we proclaim? Paul entered Athens. He engaged the city of Athens, and he explained the gospel to the people of Athens. And then last week, Pastor Joe, on week three, answered the question, what is their response? In that you can have a faithful witness, and that faithful witness will lead to a spectrum of responses as it did for Paul in the city of Athens, and that some heard what he said and some mocked him. Others dismissed him. Still others questioned and wanted to know more, and a few followed. And so again, you can probably say all those weeks, this series up to this point has been on the plane of natural, on the plane of explainable aspects of living on mission. And those are good and they are important, but as I see the big picture of Scripture and I look at the growth of the local church in the book of Acts in particular, it's not all on the plane of explainable. There is an unexplainable, supernatural element to a faith community making disciples of all nations. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I see that element being the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as we finish this series, we're going to answer three questions. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, what is the Holy Spirit's relationship to the church? And then finally, how can our church walk in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit today? So that's where we're going. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read 
chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and then go to chapter 2 to read verses 1 through 4. So you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen, starting in chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jump now to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, three questions, beginning with number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Again, the aim of our series, Refocus, has been the word clarity. And nowhere in Christian doctrine is clarity often missing than in answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Right? It's something that I think and I perceive is very familiar and widely known, but not clearly known and understood. And if we do not know and clearly know who the Holy Spirit is, we are definitely not going to know how he is to form and shape us as a church to the point where we could say, honestly, church, our church cannot be explained. It is not explainable without the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, I find that the Holy Spirit is often piecemealed together in our minds. Do you know what I mean by that? Where we have all these kind of bits and pieces of information. Uh, Some are biblical. uh, Other parts of it maybe is not biblical, but we heard somebody say it and it sounded biblical, so we just assumed it was biblical. And you kind of put all that together, bits and pieces, bits and pieces, and you kind of serve it on the platter. Here's the Holy Spirit. And you hear, again, all different things like the Spirit's a force or or the Spirit's a, a certain energy Or the Spirit's this inner voice that only I can hear. Often, in modern days, uh, the Holy Spirit in the church is associated with emotional displays. To be filled with the Spirit, if you were to ask, what's that look like? Maybe, like me, your mind kind of goes to, well, it's it's, it's emotional. Or you hear about the gifts of the Spirit. And and you know, maybe if you know in church circles, that's often controversial. There's a lot of controversy around that, or, you know, certain people have some gifts, other people don't have other gifts, and vice versa, and some have more and less, and again, it's a verse here, it's a passage there, it's a conversation with a friend over there, and it's piecemealed, and the reality is, the picture for many of us, it's just blurry, confusing. So I want to begin with a kind of baseline definition of who is the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to have it on the screen just so you can kind of see it, read it, if you want to even just write it down for your own sake and study, that the Holy Spirit is the divine third person of the triune God who indwells believers and the church in order to render the presence of God in his people. 
a baseline definition of who is the Holy Spirit. And in this way, the Holy Spirit is not merely a force or an energy. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit is not just power, but the Holy Spirit gives power by rendering the presence of God in salvation and in the church. So, so again, you know, we're, we're condensing a big theology down to just a few points here, but I think, again, for clarity purposes, it's just you need to know that the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's not lesser of a God, right? That's kind of why Francis Chan wrote his book called Forgotten God, because it's often all about the Father and all about the Son, and then the Spirit's kind of this hard-to-pin-down other aspect of God. But the Holy Spirit is fully God, just as the Father and the Son are, and yet the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son, One God in three persons. And these three persons work in unison. They work in unison in both the creation and recreation of the cosmos. So in Genesis 1, we see the Father creates all things through the Son by the Spirit. Right? The Father creates through the Son by the Spirit. And then in salvation, in the rebirth, in the recreation, the new creation, which Paul calls men and women who are believers, the Father saves through the Son by the Spirit. You have no salvation, you have no creation without the Holy Spirit. So a question that maybe you have heard, I know I have heard, is maybe you have struggled with or wrestled with yourself or somebody you know, is kind of this question of, and it can be an honest question of, um, how is it that a man who died 2,000 years ago, like, like really died, historical like event on a Roman cross, was convicted, tried, and crucified, how is that one man's death have anything to do with me? How is it that my eternity hinges on a man who died 2,000 years ago? How does that work? I'm struggling to understand how that works. You cannot answer that without the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit applies the work of the Son to those who believe. The Father sends, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. And in the Old Testament, which is the 39 books of the Bible that were written before the birth of Jesus, uh, the Spirit empowered all that God did, but hang with me here, it happened through anointing, not indwelling. This is important, that the Spirit would come upon certain people in the Old Testament for a specific amount of time for a specific task. And then most notably, that climaxes with Jesus himself. If you remember Jesus at his baptism, the Spirit descends. The Spirit comes upon him and empowers him. And after Jesus died for the sins of all who believe and was raised to new life and victory, he's told his disciples that we just read, he says, I am going back to the Father and I will send the Holy Spirit. And it was at Pentecost, days later, the disciples were praying together in the upper room in Jerusalem when one of the most important events in the history of the world took place. Like you cannot downplay how important Pentecost is and that the Spirit descended for the first time in the history of the world, not just to anoint those men and women in the upper room, but to indwell them. Beginning at Pentecost, there is now a permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in those who believe. And the same power 
The same power that, em- that empowered Jesus in his life and death and resurrection now lives in those who are united with him by faith. And this event is the birthday of the church. This is how it relates to us. This is how it relates to Refocus and to Grace Church, that that, that event is the birthday of the church. It's another reason why I know the Holy Spirit often gets neglected. Because especially if we're honest in Protestant churches, Pentecost Sunday never really talked about. It doesn't come close in our minds to Christmas and Easter. But I don't know, man. Biblically, I'm like, I think it kind of should be in the same picture. Like, what is Christmas? Christmas is not when the Son of God began to exist because the Son of God is eternal. But it was the birth of Jesus. It was the first time in the history of the world that God became man. And what is Easter? It's Jesus Christ, that God-man who died and rose again and inaugurated this new heavens and new earth. And what is Pentecost? Pentecost, it's not when the Spirit of God began to exist, because the Spirit, again, is eternal. But rather, it was the first time in the history of the world that the Spirit indwelled man for the first time. Who is the Holy Spirit? That's number one. Now, number two, what is the Holy Spirit's relationship to the church? What is this Holy Spirit's relationship to the church? So we all know the Great Commission, right? We talk about that a lot at Grace Church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples to make disciples. But the question again is how? How is that possible. It's what his disciples wanted to know. Remember the, in Acts chapter 1, when they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, we're, like, you're, you're going to be king now, right? Like, this starts now? Like, where are you going? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know when I return, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. It's better that I leave, because I'm with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. How is it possible that this church is going to move the way it moves. It's by the Spirit who will indwell the church and the Holy Spirit will empower the church to make disciples both inwardly and outwardly. What we mean by that is that the Spirit works inwardly to build up one another in Christ, that the Spirit exists to use one another to build one another up in the church, your brothers and sisters, your covenant members in the church. And the Spirit works outwardly to use that covenant uh, group of believers to be his witnesses and to reach the world by proclaiming Christ. And you cannot explain what happened in the book of Acts without the Holy Spirit. How is it that this group of 120 insecure, very self-conscious, fearful Jewish men and women who have been disowned by their own people because they follow Jesus who are still under the occupation of the Roman Empire, how is it that those men and women hiding in a room would go on to begin a movement that would change the world? Not by strategy, not by skill and training each other on talking points, not by physical force, but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so buckle up. We're about to do a tour of the book of Acts. From this moment of the Spirit descending in Acts chapter 2 up until Paul's entry in the city of Athens where we have been for the last three weeks in Acts 17. 
So Acts chapter 2, when this group of fearful men and women, again, immediately became emboldened and courageous and compassionate in their love for God and their love for neighbor. They were provoked to anger by the idols that blind the lost. And they were provoked to compassion for those who were held captive by them. And they begin to share the gospel in an array of languages that they had not previously known. And it gets capped off by Peter giving a sermon where 3,000 men and women respond to faith in Jesus Christ. 120 to 3,000, one sermon. Let's go. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit. Later in Acts chapter 2, and then we see it again in Acts chapter 4, the disciples we read are devoting themselves to one another, whom many of which they just met. And they're sharing all things in common. They're doing crazy things like selling their homes to provide for people in need who they just met. All of a sudden, their homes, don't care, sell it. Let's provide for those in need. There was radical generosity. There was a commitment to praising God as they broke bread and took the Lord's Supper together. There was the commitment to gathering where they would hear regular teaching and have fellowship with one another, again, with those they just met. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit. Keep going to chapter 6. At this point, chapter 6, this church in Jerusalem is growing, and it's growing fast. And with this growth, there are tangible administrative challenges that are beginning to pop up, that when you have a growing church, there's a lot of needs that need to be met, and a lot of needs can get overlooked. And a group came to the apostles and said, hey, there's some widows that are getting overlooked because of their ethnic identity, and others are getting preferential treatment. This is a problem. And the apostles agree, this is a problem. And so the apostles immediately act, and they act fast, and they raise up men to oversee the serving of the people to make sure it was equitable for all. And what was the one requirement they had of those men? Quote, those who are full of the Spirit. And amongst that group of servants that was raised up was a man named Stephen. And Stephen not only had the gift of administration to help serve those in need, but he also could proclaim the gospel. And he would be refuting religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. And they couldn't stand him for it because maybe they knew Stephen beforehand. And Stephen was not this bold. Stephen was not this smart. How in the world does Stephen go from where he was to now uh, kind of talking down the religious leaders in the synagogues? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you get to chapter 7. My goodness, chapter 7. If you have time today, read chapter 7 in the book of Acts. Stephen gives a sermon on the spot when he gets put before this council to answer for what he believes that goes from Abraham in the Old Testament and connects it all to Jesus Christ. How in the world could he do that? Because he was full of the Spirit. And what happened was that in that moment, that made them so angry that they decided to pick up rocks and stone Stephen on the spot. This is interesting. You know why? Because when they killed Jesus, they had to get permission from the Roman Empire. They had to go to Pilate. But they are so angry with Stephen, what they're seeing. They say, we're going to kill him now and we'll figure it out. And they stone him to death. And Stephen embraces death without fear. And even says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he dies. How could he do that? Why would he do that? He was full of the Spirit. Can't explain it without it. Keep going. Chapter 9. What happened was is that there was a Pharisee who was watching this stoning. He was actually the one holding the coats of the guy so they had better kind of arm angles to throw the stones and hit him even harder. And the guy who was holding the coats and nodding in approval was a man named Saul. 
And Saul was so passionate about refuting these Christians that he decided that when they started to leave Jerusalem, because people got afraid because now they're stoning people, so Christians started to go. But as they go, what they do, they proclaim the gospel. And Saul's hearing about this, and he's angry. So he goes from Jerusalem to track them down, arrest them, bring them back. And while on the road, he has an encounter with the risen Christ. And he surrenders his own life to Christ. He was blinded on the road and then given his sight when? When he was filled with the Holy Spirit. How did Saul, who would go on from there and then be referred to as Paul, how would he go from persecuting Christians to proclaiming Christ and making disciples? How is that possible? How do you explain that? Power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not done. Chapter 10. Peter is praying on a rooftop. And the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter that he's to take the gospel to a man named Cornelius. This is strange to Peter because Cornelius was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. And the Spirit reveals to Peter in this moment that the gospel that has been proclaimed to him is for all people. And Peter is empowered to go to this man's house that he does not know, proclaim the gospel to he and his family, and then he says that he is amazed that they can receive the same what? Holy Spirit, as he can. And now you get to chapter 13 of Acts, and you have this mega church in the city of Jerusalem, and it's containing both the Jews and Gentiles together, and they're worshiping, and they're fasting, and the reason is because they want the Spirit to reveal to them who they should set apart and then send out. Set apart because of their gifting and send out on a missionary journey throughout the Roman Empire. I know this is by the Spirit, because you know what churches tend to do when they have gifted people? We want to hold them for us. And let's build them up. Let's build us up. But this church in Jerusalem says, no, let's take some of our most gifted men and women and let's send them out for the sake of the kingdom. That's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you get to Acts chapter 15, and the church leaders have to hold a council. Because apparently whenever there's controversy, you have to hold a council. And the problem was that there was disagreement as to whether or not the non-Jews who were believing in Jesus Christ needed to be, become circumcised. And why that was important is because the question was, do these non-Jews need to become traditionally and culturally Jewish in order to be part of God's people? And so they have some back and forth. There's some pretty heated disagreement that can happen in churches from time to time. And Peter and James stand up. And they testify to the standing, saving power of the Holy Spirit and their experiences of seeing all people being welcomed to come to Christ with no obstructions. And it says in chapter 15 that it seemed good to them in the power of the Spirit to lay no greater burdens on God's people other than to believe in Him, to love Him, and to live lives dedicated to Him. Chapter 16 Three of these men who were set apart and sent out are guys Paul, Timothy, and Silas to reach the nations with the gospel. But then we're told in chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit actually keeps them from going on the original route they wanted to go to. Can anyone resonate with that? I thought my life was going this direction, but now my life has to go this direction. I didn't see that coming. I think many of us can resonate. And they had to submit to the fact that the Spirit was saying no because he had better plans for us. Because we know that whenever God says no in your life, it's because he has a better yes in mind for you. And this new route takes them to the city called Philippi, and they dramatically plant a church. That's a fun one. 
And then you get to Acts chapter 17, and they arrive at Thessalonica, and they plant a church, but they get chased out to Berea, where they plant a church, and then they're chased out of Berea, and Paul is quickly thrown onto a ship that ends up going 186 miles south and arrives at this ancient city named Athens, where his spirit was provoked, and he entered the city, which is where we began three weeks ago. How do you explain that? How do you explain going from the fearful room to the ancient city? The foundational common thread that pulls through the growth and expansion of the church in the book of Acts and for the last 2,000 years is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we arrive at our third question. How then... Church, how then can we, our church, walk in the presence and the power of the same Holy Spirit today? Hang with me here because we have to be careful with our wording. This is where things can often go off the rails because as Michael Horton writes in his book, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, every church that is functioning as the church exists only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is at work visibly wherever the Word is faithfully preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. Wherever in the world the Word is faithfully preached and the sacraments are rightfully administered, the Spirit is at work in the church. And the reason we have to be careful is because, as I said in the beginning, often when we hear in our modern times the desire to be a Spirit-filled church, we often associate that more with emotions. Um, that to be spirit-filled is to be more passionate. It's to be more emotional. It's to be more angst-filled. And it's often associated with music. If, you're ra- if a church raises its arms to worship, they're spirit-filled. Or we associate with certain gifts of the spirit, that if certain gifts are present, then that's a spirit-filled church. And hear me, those can be good things. Man, raise your hands and worship. I'm in. Like, like, we should have a passionate posture here. We, we, we do want to see signs of an interest in and, and amongst our people. That people, when somebody's passionate about something, you see it. There is a visible manifestation of that. But emotions alone is not biblical evidence of a Holy Spirit in the church. So what does it look like for a church and our church to increasingly walk in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And what I have in mind when I ask that question is what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18. The verses will be on the screen. When Paul says to the church in Ephesus, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In this context, to be filled means to be guided by the Spirit. Again, Paul is not just talking to individuals. He's talking to the church. This is a corporate command. Be guided by the Spirit. Be dominated by the Spirit. And it's what's called a present imperative meaning the the, the kind of literal translation is keep on being guided by. Keep on being filled by. It's ongoing. Keep on being dominated by the Holy Spirit. 
as I was studying and preparing for the series over the summer, kind of wrestling with what should we call it, and you know, I'm thinking about the word refocus. I came across this prominent photography website that said there are six reasons why a camera will lose focus. Six top reasons why a camera will lose focus. I fact-checked this with AJ, all right? This is, this is legit. And I was stunned in my preparation of the parallels between a camera and a church. Hang with me. And, and so we are going to close this series out by looking at the illustration of six ways a church can lose focus using the illustration of a camera, all right? We're going to go quickly. Number one, first reason why a camera will lose focus is that a camera focuses on the wrong subject. That when the main subject is out of focus, something else in the frame becomes the focus and it ruins the picture. And when a church's primary desire its primary heart and desire moves away from growing people's knowledge of and love for Jesus Christ and equipping those people to make his name known, the mission is destroyed. When disciple-making is replaced by branding us and our way of doing things, when it gets replaced by the desire to numerically grow a church, and we just want to tell everybody how fast we're growing and how the Spirit's moving because look at all these people that are here. When making much of Jesus is surpassed by making much of Grace Church, we get out of focus. When disciple-making is surpassed by political agendas and cultural ideologies and partisan views on lesser things, when that becomes, when our passion to see those things realized surpasses our desire to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we get out of focus. When we try to get people to conform to our ideas and build our kingdom, instead of seeing people transformed by the Holy Spirit for the sake of His kingdom, we begin to operate in the flesh and not in the Spirit. But a church that is empowered by and filled with the Spirit stays focused on the right subject, making much of Jesus, growing followers of Jesus, and we're dominated by it, full stop. Second reason why a camera might lose focus, there's not enough light. Light deficiency is one of the biggest issues with auto-focusing systems and cameras. There's not enough light. It's too dark. I don't want Grace Church to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. And we need to heed the words of the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 4. When the word of the Lord came to a man named Zerubbabel who was rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, interesting, after the exiles return, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Zerubbabel, you're doing great work, brother. You're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem after 70 years of exile. That's great work. That's important work. Zerubbabel, remember, not by might, not by power, by my spirit. When we see our church life on the same natural plane as we see every other community or aspect of our lives, the church will get darkened. Our lampstand will be put out like what was warned to the churches in Revelation. And when your lampstand 
gets darkened, your witness gets dulled. But rather, the light of Christ, sent and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the only light that will keep us in focus. And I think one of the primary evidences of this being true for a church is going to be the way it prays. The way a church prays, this is convicting for us, but a spirit-filled church is a praying church. The, the time it takes to pray, the posture of humility, the commitment, the, the desperation in prayer will expose how reliant we are on the Spirit's power as opposed to our own wisdom, as opposed to our own skill. Let's keep going. Third reason. Camera gets out of focus. The contrast is too low. In that there has to be something that clearly distinguishes the object from its surroundings for the camera lens. Because if that contrast is not there, then the camera just focuses on everything, and to focus on everything is to focus on nothing. If there's nothing that distinguishes our community of faith here at Grace Church from the communities in the world, if there's not enough contrast between us and the world, then we will provide no compelling reason why people should seek after Jesus Christ. So, so the, the natural question I hope you're asking, I know I'm asking, is how does that contrast make itself most clearly known? How do we distinguish ourselves from the world? It, it's a big question with an actually stunningly simple answer. Simple doesn't mean easy, but it is simple. A zealous love for God and love for neighbor. The greatest commandment, a zealous love for God and love for neighbor will distinguish the church from the world. Because a church that is consistently feeding and growing their people with a love for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that is continually encouraging their people to serve one another, to build one another up with their gifts, in doing that and growing that love for Jesus, you will also simultaneously grow their hatred for the idols of the culture around them. You will grow their distaste for, their hatred for the idols that threaten to distract them and to keep others from Christ. A zealous love for God, but also a love for neighbor. I think something that we need to hear and be reminded of is that the Holy Spirit will never lead you to hate, be resentful towards, or seek to defeat other people, regardless of their beliefs or their attitude towards you. The Holy Spirit is never behind empowering you to hate your neighbor, regardless of who they are, what they believe, what background, what ideology they have. Because when Paul says in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, he meant it. He doesn't mean we don't have a battle. Oh, we have a battle. But that battle is against a spiritual enemy and spiritual forces who, through false gods, hold people captive. And that battle is not against the people themselves. But as we saw all through the book of Acts, it is the Spirit who gives dynamic power for ministry. It's the Spirit who gives compassionate desire to see his name known. It's the Spirit who gives you the boldness to preach the gospel. It's the Spirit who gives you the courage to face persecution. It's the Spirit who dedicates your life to holy living. It's the Spirit that gifts you and gives you gifts to serve him and build up one another in the faith. 
if you view your spiritual gift as something to spotlight you, to make much of you, and put down others instead of spotlighting Christ and to build up others, that gift is not of the Spirit, that's a curse of the flesh. Number four, fourth reason, camera gets out of focus. The subject is too close to the camera. (laughs) The subject is too close to the camera, and you need to move away from the object so the camera can gain perspective and focus. And I think about this, I don't think this is a stretch to think about it in this way, that each week and then throughout the week when we're in contact with one another, we come and we gather to be fed, to be encouraged, and to be equipped in order to go and engage the world around us. And churches that become so insular, meaning that the only relationships church people have are with other church people, and if we're honest, that you have no real meaningful relationships with non-believers because all your time and energy is just spent with Christians, you will never have the opportunity to go live on mission in the world that God has called you to. And I think inevitably, when churches become insular like that, they inevitably will start to fight and turn on one another over silly things. Right? Like, that's when churches start fighting over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. That's when we start fighting over the instruments used in worship. And and the purpose, and I mean this, the purpose of a faith community is not to spend all of its time together. But hear me. It's to spend enough time together to build one another up and be built up in Christ in order to send one another out in the name of Christ. And so we come and we go, and we gather and we scatter, and then we gather and we scatter again, and we encourage each other like crazy along the way. Church, there will be a day in glory where it will be all worship. But that day won't come till Christ comes back. And until then, it's worship and mission. Number five, fifth reason, is that there is an inaccurate manual focusing. Here you have the right subject, you have the right desire, but human error keeps you from doing it the right way. Right, the really good cameras, the manual focusing, not like me and 95% of the rest, you just pull out a phone, in two seconds you got your picture. Like, we need to get the right focus, and there's a manual focusing here. Oftentimes, the right desire and ability is there, it's just human error gets in the way. And it reminds me that sin is the death knell of fruitfulness in the church. And a church that is in the Spirit will walk in the power to resist sin and not justify it. All of us, every single day, have that decision in front of us. That when I am tempted, when I, will I resist this sin or will I find a way to justify it? When the Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, he was driven into the desert where he fasted for 40 days. Do you remember what happened in the desert? Immediately upon the Spirit coming upon him, he was tempted by the devil, and it was the Spirit of God that empowered Jesus to rely on the Word of God in order to resist sin. And church, this is progress, not perfection. We will never reach perfection in this area until glory. But by God's grace and the power of his Spirit, we can make progress. Individually and corporate sins as a church, we can acknowledge that, confess that, and learn to grow in it in the Spirit. So let us have the eyes to see that the Holy Spirit 
not only equips us to reach the ends of the earth for the gospel, but it also equips us to explore the depths of our own hearts. Last one, number six. The camera fails to adjust when the subject moves. Camera fails to adjust when the subject moves. We've all been there, certainly, with young children or grandchildren. You've been there often. You got it all set up. Picture looks great. They never stand still, right? Always moving. And you take it and you look at it and everything's good except the one blur on the right side. Because when the subject moves, a camera loses focus if it does not fail to adjust with it. This is the heart of refocus. In Acts chapter 17, Paul did not approach Athens in the same way he approached the other cities. He adjusted focus as his context changed. And as our society has changed and continues to change, our message will never change, but the way we approach our mission has to. We have to adjust as the subject moves. Next week, we're going to celebrate 75th anniversary of Grace Church. 75 years of this church in this community. And by God's grace, this church's commitment to the gospel has not wavered for 75 years. But the approach to the culture has had to change over and over and over again because you cannot reach a 2021 culture with a 1946 approach or 1975 approach, or 1995 approach, or honestly with the speed of change is happening, not even with a 2015 approach. And so we're going to close this way, where this series ends. We are going to be starting in the next couple of weeks a class taught by Pastor Joe called Questions from Our Culture. And again, he's going to pick it up where we're leaving it off, and I encourage you to take it it's only four weeks, but questions from our culture, as God calls us to enter into the spaces he has placed us, as he's called us to engage with the culture around us, and to explain the gospel in a way that can be heard, we're going to have to understand what are the questions from our culture. But all along the way, at Grace Church, we are committed to glorifying God by making disciples who know Jesus Christ and make him known. And if we are going to successfully do that, in this suburban context of northern New Jersey in 2021, Grace Church, it will not be explainable without the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are both grateful and humble. We are grateful for how much we know because you have revealed truth to us by your Spirit and, Lord, we are humbled because we have so much to learn. And so, Father, I pray that we would have a posture of humble confidence, of know that it's not by our might, it's not by our strategy, it's not by our programs or our skill or all our talking points. It is by your Spirit that you will make much of your name through the men and women of Grace Church. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be faithful to follow the path where, wherever it leads. And we would understand that our job is faithfulness and that you will do with that as you see fit. And Lord, it's in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we pray. Amen.
We're actually going to remain seated for this song. It's a new song that I pray will be an encouragement to you and just allow it. You can sing along while seated or just allow it to be a prayer that washes over you as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper this morning. 